Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. I can't change the world, and you cannot change the world, but only God can change the world. But God transforms us when we pray, and then God transforms us to change the world around us. But how come we are prone to wander? Why is it, church, that we would rather not pray or find time scrolling through social media or Reddit or Facebook or what have you and get distracted and not pray? We're all humans, and so am I. But why is that? Why is it that we get distracted? But what if prayer could really change things, church? What if prayer could really change our heart toward our neighbor? What if God is really true? What if the Bible says about prayer is really real? And what if prayer could really change our neighbor, could really change our township, could really change our city? And what if that began to change? What if our world began to change around us? God, would our heart be enlarged for the things that grow, that beat for your heart? God, grow our hearts so that it would grow for the things around us and we would bless the world around us through sincere prayer. We are saying today as a part of the BLESS series, BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, five every days to love your neighbor and to change the world. And it's inspired by a book that I'm reading by Dave and John Ferguson, trusting and praying that God is going to do some great things through our church through this series and that God will continue to grow us and mobilize us as we continue to lean into what God has for us and as we engage this. So here's the, here it is, the acronym for you. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story, B-L-E-S-S. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what this looks like for all of us to mobilize as followers of Jesus and as a church family. I'm excited about this. And we change the world by living out this command. We do this by the conviction that Jesus Christ has done a work in our lives, and we love him, and he has done such a work in our lives, and we desire other people to experience that, what he has done for us, and he's done in our lives as well. So in our conversations with others, and sometimes with sharing your faith, I know it can feel sometimes can feel like a lot of, uh, just feel burdensome maybe sometimes to do this, but we are called to love God and love our neighbor. And so many of us have come to this understanding. But I just want to share this to continue to kind of set our hearts around this idea. Here's the reality, is that love your neighbor as yourself shows up eight times in the Bible. But eight times, not once or twice, but eight times, loving your neighbor as yourself is so important to God that he not only repeats himself, he makes it a command. It's not an option. And Jesus couples loving neighbor with loving God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second of this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. And you see, as we as the church and we get this right, it's a beautiful thing. But what about our noisy neighbors? Or the next door neighbor that lets the dog out loose and in the yard. Most of my neighbors have been good people. I'm grateful for that. Growing up, it's been, it's been a good thing. But God makes it a command, not an option. And I think that times he'd know we struggle with it. And it's time we kind of reorient ourselves, even center ourselves back to this command. 
make the sacrifice. We, God insists we find time and make that sacrifice and command, be intentional about loving our neighbors as ourselves. So I just want to dream for a minute. If I could dream, and if we could dream together, church, if we could all envision us mobilized and took to heart this church body who intentionally, what if we all took this to heart to say, you know what, we are going to love our neighbor. What if we took that intentional time to love, to, to gather our heart, to love our God? Imagine with me what the kingdom of God might do right here in this township and in this city. My heart is this, that we intentionally be a church. My, my heart has always been this church, that we would be a church mobilized, mobilized throughout the week. We are here for, I, I love that we are here on Sunday mornings, we're here for about an hour, 75 minutes or so. We are about that, but it is also extremely vital. We be the people of God in the community and, be, and extend the kingdom of God to those around us. And I'm grateful for that and uh, grateful for that. And so maybe I just pray that we would continue to grow our hearts in this. But who in your sphere of influence in which God, who is in your sphere of influence that God could call you to be a neighbor toward? Anyone know these shapes? right? You remember these shapes going and throwing it back to elementary school or middle school or high school? I'm not sure. Uh, when did we learn these? Elementary school? Middle school? I think elementary. I'm hearing some head nods, right? Let's just throw back for a second, throw back Sunday through geometry class, um, right? So if you're an architect, they'll tell you that all other shapes flow from these shapes, a so circle, triangle, and square. I heard someone explain to me one time, all the other shapes like hexagon, all that stuff is a derivative of these shapes. So these are the three foundational shapes. And if you boil it down, all the shapes come back to these shapes. You look around the room, you're going to see these shapes everywhere around this room even. So you'll find this everywhere. Everything has to revol it revolves around these foundational shapes. And you've got maybe this verse hanging in your house. And I just want to go there today. These three foundational kind of things as part of our faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Love God, love your neighbor. And God specializes in these three pillars of the faith be intertwined as we love God and love our neighbor. And God is working in your life. The Good News Church, God is working in your life faith, hope, and love, and he's weaving that into your life as you walk with him, experience him on a deeper level, and he does this. And God wants the church, God wants the onlooking world to say of the church and to say faith, hope, and love exists in that person, exists in the church, and that's what I want the onlooking world to see for our church to say faith, hope, and love, that exists in the church, that exists in that church, and I've uniquely called and commissioned the church to be a part of this, and as followers of Jesus, we submit to God's working in our lives as well. So why love? You see, God is consistently on the move about this. He's consistently on the move, and he wants his people to be on the move as well, and his desire everywhere we go, as we go, we are about the mission of befriending and blessing the people that we come across, and God does this. As we, as we go, go and make disciples of the Great Commission. As we go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And here's the great thing, church, is that this mission and command from God, sometimes we complicate it, I think, as a church. Sometimes we do complicate some of these things. And yet God wants us to bless. I will bless you and you'll bless others with that blessing. 
And he's essentially saying that however I have blessed you, use that to bless others. And you don't have to manufacture anything. Just bless others with who you are and that all that I have given you, you will be a blessing. I blessed you and you are to be a blessing to other people. It's about movement and the mission of God is all about movement. The, the mission of Jesus is all about movement to others and to love God and to want love others. And Paul even says this. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He steps into our setting today and says, I know you love your excellence, but I want to show you an even more excellent way, which is the way of love. The way of love. What's love got to do with it as we talked about last week? And as we continue to move into this week uh, through prayer, we're, we'll look at this as well. We engage our neighbor by our love for God and love for neighbor. And today is prayer. So we're going to go to this topic of prayer. If you have your Bible, you can go there in Philippians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible in those letters, kind of those small little letters at the end of your Bible, book of Philippians. Um, if you flip your Bible probably toward the end, you'll kind of get to one of those letters. It's on 832 of the Bible in front of you if you'd like to go there. And uh, if you are a paper person, you can go there. Um, 8.32, Philippians 4, and it'll be on the screen behind me. And if you're visiting, watching with us, visiting with us, we at Washington Union value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures. Make sure you find a church that does the same, that preaches and teaches the Scriptures faithfully um, and uh, preaches this. So Philippians 4, 6-7, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by what? Prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your what? Hearts and your what? Minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you read that. I just want to stop for a second. You read Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and you're sort of like, man, has that guy ever been anxious in his life? I mean, has he ever wrestled through life's deepest questions and darkest nights? I mean, has he in reality... Like, does he get it? Don't be anxious about anything. Well, you see, the guy who wrote this is a guy named Paul, and he penned this letter to the church in Philippians, written to Christians. And he himself had not been in a very good situation. He needed to write this letter to the church in Philippi. He was actually in prison at the moment. He had experienced a number of persecutions and hardships, beatings, abandonment, isolation, supreme difficulty for him to experience this. And now he's written Written, written to the church in Philippi, but it's also written for our ears and eyes today. You see, we begin, church, with the Father's heart in prayer. If you, don't, if you leave today with nothing else, I just want you to know this. Know that God's heart is crazy for you, and His heart is for you, and it lands home in prayer. The Lord is near. Know that the Lord's heart is near to you in prayer today. God is crazy about you. Pete Grieg is an author. He's part of the 24-7 prayer movement. He says this, The most important discovery you will ever make is the love that God the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you loves you. And because of that recognition of the Father's heart to us and through us, expectation, intercession, and petition, and confession flow out of the Father's heart. As we experience the Father's love, that flows out of us as we experience prayer, and it flows out of us, and that we will act and pray with expectation and joy rather than duty. Sometimes we pray out of duty, but I pray that we would pray out of expectation and joy that God has for us out of a Father's love for us. Have you ever looked at the moon? 
Well, it's about 2,000 miles away, and uh, more than a light in the sky, it's a, but it is a star in an essence, um, it's something that you can touch and walk in. I think it's a star. I actually don't know if it's actually true. I think it's reflected. So yeah, so it's reflected off. But anyway, if you've ever looked at the moon, um, it's, uh, it's, it's great. Neil Armstrong discovered it and traveled all those miles on that night. On that night. Totally different experience. For Neil Armstrong, I can imagine, than reading it or looking through it through a textbook or watching Apollo 13. Um, totally different than this, is actually experiencing and walking on it as well. And you see, you can read every description on the menu. You can listen to the servant's, server's eloquent description of the few that draw your attention. You can watch the plates as they come out, but none of it will ever satisfy your hunger. Until you pick up a fork and knife and taste it for yourself, it's just hearsay. You can watch every rom-com ever produced, read all the classic novels, eavesdrop on the first date at a cafe table. You can tear up at wedding ceremonies and admire the couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, but that's merely to know about love. To, To discover it, you must feel those first date butterflies. Tell the other person how you feel with no guaranteed reciprocation. Make vows in front of friends and family. And to hold the wrinkled hand of your elderly spouse after decades of living out those vows through ordinary days and unexpected changes. True love requires experience. And when it comes to prayer, we can read all the classic books on prayer, read the history of revival stories, treasure up every biblical insight, memorize facts, facts, etc. But we begin by experiencing and knowing the love of God, the God the Father has for us, and we live in expectation that God insists to meet us in prayer, that God can and will with all the ordinary and very mundane experiences of life, that God intends to meet us with the extraordinary. And you might believe that nothing particularly exceptional or fascinating is happening in your life. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent who doesn't necessarily, maybe you stay at home. Maybe you don't travel a lot regularly. Maybe if you're a grandparent, maybe visiting your grandchildren's house can be the longest trip that you make. But in God's view, no life or story is too mundane or unimportant. God intends to meet us in prayer and intersect his life with ours by means of prayer. 1 John 3 reminds us of this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We discover the great love that God has for us, and we discover how amazing it is to be loved by God and to know that He is loving toward us. And if you've never uttered a word of prayer, know this, that one humble request on the cross when Jesus was crucified, one humble request was enough for a career thief crucified next to Jesus to experience the Father's love. (laughs) For this reason, Ephesians 3, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I what? Pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? Love may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is the writer of this. He specifically prays that the church, church in Ephesus at this point in time, 
in Ephesus be able to fully grasp and comprehend the love of God and that all the depths, he prays for this, that they would grasp what it means to love God and that they would understand that and that all the depths of the love of God would be understood in all of its fullness into their being. And it's written also to us. And I pray that our church, for you, would understand the fullness of God, how high and wide, deep and long, high, deep, whatever he says there, would know the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God written through us. You see, your spiritual life will never rise above your prayer life. Your spiritual life will never rise above your prayer life. And it's Jesus who does not teach his disciples. The one thing he teaches his disciples is to how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, who does not teach his disciples how to do a next church growth project or the next initiative, he teaches them how to first and foremost to pray. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer, how to pray for God's purposes to come on earth because God wants to do great things through us and it's possible if we are willing to let him do it through prayer. How might God be working in your heart, in my heart today through prayer? How might God be working through your heart right now toward others through pain and lament and brokenness? How might God do that? He works through those things and lament and brokenness. God, uh, Paul prays for the gospel to be advanced in a prison cell, as he was, and a deep marvel that others would come to know how unfathomably large and deep God's love is for them. Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament from a prison cell. Don't underestimate God's plan for you in the present time, even if it's hard. Even if it's hard. And Paul prays for the church that they understand and love the will of God and they know the will of God. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher, a famous preacher. He said that often we think we are too busy to pray, but one soon finds that prayer is a saving of time. God can multiply our ability to make use of time. Your engagements will run smoothly if you do not neglect your engagement with God. And Paul's prayer there in Ephesians 3, that they be strengthened with power through the Spirit and their inner selves so that he might take up residence in their hearts. There's this inseparable link between the Spirit of God the Spirit of God and the life of prayer in the believer's life. And the fullness of God is an amazing thing. I have some just kind of a mind-blowing thing to think about, to experience. And it's God's desire to fill us with the unfathomable love of God so that we may grasp that to the core of our being. How to remain in that love. You see, love, love is easy at the first and last, effortless in the honeymoon stage with each other. But what about those years in between? Could the same be said about our prayer lives? What about all those in-between years, love in the midst of a career, raising kids, establishing a life together, facing trials? Those are the years where love is fought for and worked at. Those were the years where the early infatuation is matured and grown and grown into an effortless union together. Those are the years where love grows. In a similar way, sometimes prayer is easy at the first and the last. But all those years of prayer in between are important ones. Prayer is about relationship and those means, even in those in-between years too, even in those in-between moments, a trip to the park with the kids, maybe a moment of prayer, a moment before heading to the checkout line at the grocery store, the brief pause before entering the presence of a family member in a hospital room. 
the last few minutes before you steer the car into the parking space. Those moments of in-between or what may feel or seem mundane or silly actually mature us into the fullness of God and grow us into prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray what? Continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Church, I pray and it begins with me and it begins with all of us. I pray that our hearts grow out of a deep abiding love. I pray the onlooking world says, yes, faith, hope, and love abide in that person's life. I pray for that, for my own heart. And I pray that our hearts grow out of a deep abiding love for the Father and then grow out of a heart for the love for the world around us. Out of a heart for God and love for God flows a heart for the lost and a broken world around us. It is inseparable. Love for God means love for those around us. So how does this work? How does, be, how does prayer begin to transform the neighborhood? How does it look like? What does it look like to see Union Township or Newcastle or Lawrence County come alive to Jesus? What is this, how, how, would this, how might this work? Has anyone heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was a, a famous preacher, a late 19th century preacher, still one of the most influential people in the modern church era. He was one of nine children born to a single mother who struggled to keep food on the table. A shoe salesman in Boston with only a fifth grade education. Moody came to faith at age 17 and began preaching to overlooked and marginalized teenagers shortly thereafter. He went on and traveled the world drawing crowds of 30,000 people. And many consider him to be the greatest evangelist and preacher of the 19th century. While the fruitfulness of his ministry speaks for itself, the methodology... The way he did this wasn't anything extraordinary or innovative. We have witnessed and grown accustomed to things, witnessing swells of salvation, so many methods to try and reach people, and they are all valuable and good tools. Yet, Moody's ministry in life is a compelling exception to the rule. Moody would carry around in his pocket a list of 100 names every day in his adult life. 100 friends who had no relationship with Jesus. Moody's labor of love was secret, hidden prayer on their behalf. He pleaded with God to reveal himself to each of them in a way that could perceive as eternal love. He prayed by name for their salvation. And when he died, 96 of them on the list had become answered prayers. I'll take those odds any day of the week but it gets better. At his funeral, the four remaining names were in attendance. Those four friends independently were so moved by the funeral service that the four remaining all came to faith in Jesus at his funeral. How does a shoe salesman with a fifth grade education become one of the most influential evangelists in history? Prayer. Could we church as we begin even looking at those very simple names that we're going to write down on those little two pieces of paper on a june 4th bulletin 2023 bulletin insert might we church commit to begin praying sincerely about it what if we took that to heart today and committed to praying for individuals neighbors who need to know the love of jesus who need to know the heart of the father and experience salvation Will we join God in seeing 
our community, and our friends come alive to know Jesus. Our neighbors experiencing the joy of salvation for the first time. Every great awakening and renewal has always had a similar pattern, has always had a similar pattern. The church catches fire, leading to an increased priority in prayer, resulting in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a city. In the words of J. Edwin Orr, it says this, whenever God is ready to do something new for his people, he always sets them to praying. There's a story in the Old Testament. This is a story, it's a quick story here in the Old Testament. When, the prophet, when a prophet obeyed in what happened to the city following the encounter with God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. 1 Kings 18, verse 38. It says this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And at this point in the Old Testament, God's people had forgotten God. They had long forgotten Him. They'd been strayed by the king at the time. His king's was name was Ahab. And Ahab was uh, influenced by his wife Jezebel, and they worshipped Baal. And Elijah throws up this challenge. There's 450 prophets of Baal, and he sets a sacrifice on two altars, one with Yahweh and one with Baal. And he puts a bull on the sacrifice, which is an ancient Near Eastern practice of that day to worship gods in that time period. It says not to send down fire, but to pray. And the God who sends fire down is the one true God. And this was intriguing to the king. His name was Ahab. Guys just didn't put themselves out like this in those days. And so the Baal worshipers go first on the altar and nothing happens. They keep going and going and going and nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn. And he first rebuilds the altar. It says that he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been turned down. He then says, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. And at this point, Israel is three years into a drought and not a drop of rain has fallen in a thousand days. The problem in a very devastating society, in a society that was largely farm agricultural, largely relied on crops in an agrarian society. The country is starving to death and no political policy or change in power can do anything about that. The costliest offering Elijah could bring was water. His reputation was on the line and he pours the water, pours that over the wood and he soaks it. Elijah prays, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Call to mind that family member or friend or neighbor that you perceive to be the farthest from God. The one that you haven't maybe even began to pray for. Maybe you have, but maybe consider that. Consider, and consider inviting them into the relationship with the Lord. The one you might avoid bringing up the faith subject. Think of that person. And imagine that person sitting next to you on an, other, on an otherwise very sleepy Sunday morning in an old familiar sanctuary. Only today, as you're singing, that person says this. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Imagine that person coming to faith. And Elijah said to Ahab, says this at the end of this, 
Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Here, Elijah is talking to a very desperate leader, a leader of a starving people. The economy has collapsed. Much of this story of this kinds of things, much of this reminds you maybe of stories in history class. You've got families deciding at this point in Israel's history how to ration portions of food to feed the mother of the baby or the grandfather or the children. And in that moment, Elijah locks eyes with Ahab and confidently declares that the God who provided water is going to open up the heavens for rain. And it's a rain that comes down on the whole community. You see, God desires a church on fire, and God also dreams of a city reborn. You see, unceasingly praying for our city can be a sometimes, because maybe you have, maybe you have, you have prayed, maybe you have lived in Newcastle your entire life, maybe you have lived in Lawrence County your entire life. It can be a slow, unglamorous work at times, but it takes perseverance and patience, and sometimes no one will ever know about it. The ungl- that unglamorous part of Elijah's life, we're instructed to imitate that. And it comes from James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Did you notice that? Elijah was a human being just like us, just like us. And I pray that the church is revived and set on fire and the city reborn. And I pray that we would be willing to labor in secret prayer, unceasing prayer for the ground to be tilled and the water to be sown among us. We must be about that kind of living, church. We must be about that kind of living. So might we, Washington Union, begin and mobilize ourselves to begin praying for those who are far from God. Might we, church, grow and God grow our hearts for other people to know the Father's love that we have, that others might come experience the love of God that we have, and that God might grow our hearts and begin praying unceasingly. Let's not limit the Spirit's work in our hearts for the sake of those maybe sometimes that we would rather neglect through prayer and love for God and love for for neighbor. God, would you grant us revival for the sake of our neighbors and our loved ones? Amen? Amen. Um, John, will you come up as we uh, serve communion to the Lord's table together?